Go ahead, Ray. You! You worthless piece of slime! You ignorant, disgusting clown! Nothing but an unstable short chain molecule! It's the stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. It's all flowing right to this spot. Material Devolution has begun. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's the return of the Material Devolution podcast. We are on a hot streak. Uh, good to be with you all. Matt Walter, partner in crime. How you doing, brother? Doing good, Devin. Uh, doing real good. Yeah, what are we now? Like It's like five out of six weeks we've been doing this podcast. I mean, this is unheard of. It's, it's, it's unprecedented. It's good, it's good to be back. They had to lock us, lock us in our, our houses to make it happen. But and the universe just gave us a ton happen. of material. It was like, here, you guys are getting back into the game, so uh, we're just going to go ahead and make uh, life crazy and uh, and give it to you uh, in one heaping heaping dose, in one steaming pile. Of- <laughs> uh, it's never-ending. Like, like 2020 is going to be the year that just keeps on giving, and not does. in the way that you want. Right, so, exactly. Right. We're not even halfway done. It's, not even it's, halfway the avalanche down. Is, is just, just started, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, let's kick it off. Uh, you know, every week on the podcast, I think uh, something we try to topic, to- something we try to tackle is a topic of the moment just because it makes the most sense to stay relevant to what is of the moment. I think that's kind of what the material devolution podcast has kind of evolved into for me, at least is, you know, it's an analysis of the current moment and changing times and a very relevant issue in those times. I mean, we can always pull out something fun like the star Wars or something random, but most of our topics seem, seem very topically relevant. So it's almost like we aren't choosing the topics. The topics are choosing us. That's how I feel. That's like, exactly what I meant. Like, you know, like yeah. the universe is like just serving it up on a platter these days for us, you know. But yeah, no, absolutely. I think we've always kind of been like that, you know, whether it was our first podcast of Twitter and the mob or, you know, talking about uh, Freddie Gray or uh, some of the other uh, issues as is gun violence or how did Donald Trump get to the presidency or anything like Even that. Even the random little ones like Nestle water crisis. I mean, just very of exactly. the moment things at that time, to me at least. So uh, it's an interesting way to do it. So. These things are just being rammed down my throat. So, you know, we could always just be another pointless voice in the conversation. So I think if we're going to add anything, let's make sure we add something relevant. So, of course, we're still kind of in the throes of this, you know, recent uh, uprising in America about violence, specifically amongst people of color, but just against people in general, I think, as well. You know, not just... uh, minorities who of course are seeing the brunt of it but it's a class thing almost you know it's class warfare against the lower classes to a certain degree so police reform is going to be our topic this week uh we've touched on it in various ways before but i think we're going to get a little more specific what we're going to kick it off with first off was matt i wanted to discuss some different tweets with you you know i'm not a big uh, twitter guy i don't have a twitter account but you know twitter's a way a lot of people just share their opinion and it's kind of a hot take generator it's a quick zero laser beam into somebody's mind and heart in a quick quick moment it's an interesting it way the news is shared and spread and even if you hate it you're lying if you're saying it's not a way news and opinions are shared in today's world so i, I i've been shared some uh tweets i came across that i think would be of interest for us to discuss that are very topically relevant so i'm going to call the segment the abyss the abyss we're going to go into the the abyss of twitter and just let's dive know, in lurk around and see what we find here so the first one is from uh conservative Washington columnist, uh, Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin, who's one of those never Trump conservatives. And her tweet uh, was Every single person who has marched has to pledge to vote. You know, <laughs> this is like the neoconservative solution, right? We can vote 
our way out of oh. this, right? So uh, one of my favorite uh, Twitter trolls goes by the name of Respectable Lawyer. He, he goes with a classic uh, troll follow-up of, yes, we need Democratic mayors and Democratic police chiefs and Democratic city councils in these major cities to prevent police violence. Hold on, someone's handing me a note about these mayors and police chiefs and city councils of these cities. Okay, so it turns out they're all Democrats already, but, but hear me out. What if we had a black Democratic president and a black Democratic attorney general and a black Democratic head of Department of Homeland Security? That should do the trick. Stop it. Dead hold, on, in the hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm being handed another note. <laughs> so, you know, what, what the guy's kind of pointing out with the trolling is that, you know, <clears throat> you're given the solution of voting. But historically, if we just look as back as recently Obama, you could make everybody a Democrat, make everybody in power a person of color, and nothing changed. It actually got worse. Mm-hmm. So what's that tell you about voting as a way to fix the solution if voting just gives you the people who perpetuate the problem? If you can't ever elect a candidate who can actually change the system, what's that tell you? If the system's designed to generate these candidates who aren't going to change it, how is voting a realistic solution? So uh, what are your thoughts on that? About like what, how, if, if, if you're pledging you should vote, I mean, is voting the ultimate path to change? I don't think it's saying it's not something we should do, but it really isn't the solution, is it? I think voting in its purest form and people aren't attached to ideologies or beholden to a certain um, party in order to perpetuate their 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 careers uh, in politics and or, and elevate themselves uh, through the system. Um, they don't really have any encouragement to actually derail or throw grenades into into the system or even really dig into these social, these complex socioeconomic and racial issues um, other than to get elected, other than to talk about it, to get elected, uh, to say that they're going to fix it, to give these, these empty, you know, platitudes of, you know, yeah, we're we're here for you, and we're going to change the system, and we're going to hold people accountable, and you know, then on and on and on, and so on and so on and so on. And so, incidentally, no, it, Joe Biden clinched the Democratic uh, presidential nomination. Mm. So, what the Democrats are saying is the man who's most responsible, literally, the guy who is most responsible in this country individually for the police state of the last thirty years, Joe Biden, all the crime bills he signed, all the police reforms he's backed. That helped the police and the police unions. That is the guy who's going to help us from the current police state that's being wheeled against us. Is the guy who built it. That's their solution. So uh, I'm just caught in that dystopia right now, where I'm like, how do these people keep like trying to pitch these softballs at you? Like, like you're you're, you're going to take a swing. Like this is garbage. Throw, throw something good at me. Throw me a heater at least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, I was talking with somebody on Friday, and we were talking a little bit about uh, some of the, the 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 things that he's heard. And he was, and they were talking about uh, Rush Limbaugh uh, was on um, with the with some morning show, uh, and they were asking, and they were talking to him, and and he was. They're so blind to this whole privilege that he slipped and said, you know, when they when they told me that I should go on your show. <laughs> You know, nobody ever slips right you know no and they told me that when they told me i should do your show 
you know, um, and, and then he just asked for questions. How, what, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? What should we do? What should we do? And they have all these people that are in these, in these manufacturing consent, right? Yes. Right. What should we do? You tell me, and then we should, and then we'll, we'll, we'll enact those things. Uh, you know, why doesn't, why doesn't, why don't, why can't the people in power come with ideas and say, Hey, you know, I, I, I have this example, this, this, uh, I have this bias that I see in myself that maybe I can, um, overcome. And the way that I think I can overcome that is X, Y, and Z, right? Cause it's going to take those little things, right? That that's going to change. It's not, these institutions are, are rigid. And that's my whole point to circle back around to these politicians and to voting. Um, they're very entrenched. They're very, they're, 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 they're old. It's, it, it's like what you were saying about, about police officers and what they were originally designed to do is protect private property, not really to serve a community. Um, yeah, I mean, so, that's something we were talking about before the show, and I mean, it's just an, an important historical footnote to understand the relevancy and how police agencies have developed. You know, there's nothing in the Constitution about the police. The police are a very recent invention. Basically, in uh, early 20th century, robber barons needed a way to protect private property, enforce immigration, all those things, uh, immigration labor, and so they hired hundreds of goons and, and built these private security forces and got private local lawmen to, you know, deputize their men and, and justify what they were doing. But there's nothing about the police in the Constitution. There were nobles and there were sheriffs. They were elected in cities and they were from those cities. And they might deputize some people and those people were from those cities. But you had a very limited uh, police force at that time. And the one benefit we can say is, is that, you know, there was more violent crime back in the day when people were less educated and the world was less civilized. Uh -huh. And that necessitated a growth, I think you'd say, in the need for the state to monopolize force. So all of a sudden you've got these new agencies, the FBI, the DEA, the CIA, black ops we don't even know about. You know what I mean? Uh, there's wildlife officers who have guns. Uh, there's tax bureau agents who have guns. Everybody has guns. They're all armed. We've got all these layers of armed protection where it's built up to the point where it's so entrenched, everybody needs to protect themselves because it's a job industry. Well, everybody, everybody's afraid of the police state, um, and I am afraid of the police state, and I believe that that thin blue line flag is an example of that. Uh, but I will also say that the police state is here. We live in the police. We, we, we are policed um, disproportionately to the amount of violence that happens in the United States, um, you know, most people. It's very arbitrary, and, and very it arbitrary. has a lot to do. It has a lot to do with where the power brokers need it deviated at <clears> that time. Let me uh, let me throw this little uh, paragraph I wrote about the police at you, and I want to get your thoughts, and we'll move on to the next tweet. I know you've got a great article uh, you shared with me earlier that's going to be our centerpiece today, so I don't want to waste too much time in the abyss. But uh, it, it does wasted wasting time is not time wasted if you enjoy, <laughs> if you enjoy doing it. Hopefully, we're learning something. Hopefully, so yeah. Here's what I wrote, and uh, you know, this is just like uh, a brain food. You know, I'm not even sure how clear my thoughts are. I do think it's important to write. Like a lot of things, we just do is we just speak off the cuff. But if you actually put thought to paper or text digitally you're kind of like transferring your knowledge in a way where you're forced to reflect upon it. It's not in the moment and it almost gives you the ability to rethink it and curate it more. So I do think maybe there's some sense I'm going to make here. Let me throw it at you. All right. Here's what I wrote. 
You shouldn't aim to transition those that serve the old power structure. The idea is to create a new power structure that the old one is forced to transition to. This is ultimately what the old power structure doesn't want. They want to protect their jobs and power and perpetuity for themselves and people they see as being like themselves, even if it's anti-democratic. It is anti-democratic, actually, because that usually is what happens, because they prevent the correction of unjust polities in order to remain entrenched. You don't take a corrupt politician and make him ethical and then reelect him. In my opinion, you've lost the privilege to be in power once you've been proven corrupt in any way. So if you are corrupt or if you knowingly allow corruption, which is almost even worse in some ways, you forever forfeit your ability to hold power. It's a privilege that's only temporarily granted to individuals and should be shared by the community when possible. And so it needs to be placed into a structure that doesn't allow it to remain entrenched. This kind of ties back to last week, in my opinion. Capitalism makes being part of the police or military industrial complex a career. It's not something you stop doing. It's an acquired skill set that is the foundation of your being to be able to eat, sleep with a roof over your head, and live a normal life, whatever that is. Capitalism literally enslaves you into the power structure. That was my thought on that. What, what do you think? I think that the one of the root of the problems that I see is exactly what what you were saying about the about the closing of the ranks, about um, about standing about standing up for their fellow officers, no matter what the cost. Um, I How can you blame somebody to, for wanting to feed their family and keep a roof over their head? They're just doing their job. They're just doing their job, right? Exactly. But you know, but to protect, but example, we talked about this last week. So we had those three officers that were standing around and they watched Derek Chauvin put on his neck, neck, leg on the neck of uh, George Floyd for eight minutes. Um, those people, it, 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 it it is it is the system it is the it is the apparatus itself and 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 how do you i guess my question to you back to you is how do you transition out of one system and into a new system isn't 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 it the same thing as 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 retraining those people into the new system or are you saying that none of those people because they're all have been proven to be corrupt are able to transfer into that new system no matter what their level of culpability was so this excellent point and it ties actually into this next little uh short paragraph i wrote which was about training and here's what i wrote i wrote training without real accountability is even worse and becomes a Chinese finger trap. It creates conditions for even more justified violence, for, for more justified violence. Because if you've been properly trained, that means it must be justified when you choose to do it. Right now you can operate under the guise of, we don't have the right training. We're new to the force. Some of the cops who helped murder Derek Chauvin already said that. We weren't, we weren't properly trained. We haven't been in the force that long. You've already got the justification, right? Give us better training. Help us, help us learn to not murder them. Like we shouldn't know that instinctively mm-hmm. as human beings, mm-hmm. first and foremost, of anything. So well, uh, to prime that off, I say the ability to turn on and off your body camera, like why is that even... Well, that's absurd. Why, why is that even something you're given control of? Why is that cops even... Cops not actually applying the law to other cops? Well, like a cop commits a crime? We're going to get into that. We're going to get into... A cop plants drugs or commits an assault and you don't immediately arrest and stop them? All other cops do, 99.9% of the time, is cover up or ignore crimes by other cops. And complicit approval and sanction of police corruption, basically, it, it sours the entire milk. 
It's so sour, it's unbelievable. And the police don't want to be policed by anyone but the police, of course. Imagine telling Wall Street they can police themselves. Oh, wait, we already did that, right? We know how that goes. You can't ever let the powerful monitor themselves because they only ever do it for their own benefit. So how can you let the, the ones who are abusing you retrain themselves so they don't abuse you? They're abusers, whether they want to admit it or not. Well, it's interesting. So it's interesting that you say that because uh, I found it, I found another article today. It was written on October fourth, twenty fourteenth, twenty nineteen, by the USA Today, and it said eighty five thousand law enforcement officers across the United States have been investigated or disciplined for misconduct over the past decade, and and investigation by the USA Today found officers have beaten members of the public, planted evidence, and used their badges to harass women. They have lied, stolen, dealt drugs, driven drunk, and abused their Spouses. Despite their role as public servants, the men and women who swear to keep the oath of community safe generally avoid public scrutiny for their misdeeds. The records of these misconduct of their misconduct are filed away, rarely seen by anyone outside the departments. Police unions and their political allies have worked to put special protections in place to ensuring some records are shielded from public view or even destroyed. <clears throat> Here's a reporters from USA Today, and it's a hundred affiliates, newsrooms, and nonprofit Invisible Institute in Chicago has spent more than a year creating the biggest collection of police misconduct records. The records detail at least two hundred thousand incidents of alleged misconduct, much of it previously unreported. The records obtained include more than one hundred and ten thousand internal affair investigations by hundreds of individual departments and more than 30,000 officers were decertified by 44 states of oversight uh, by 44 state oversight agencies. Holy cow. Sounds like a gang. Sounds like, sounds like a certain numbers don't numbers don't lie, right? Numbers don't lie. I mean, they they can't, they can't, they can be manipulated, but it's pretty tough to manipulate those in any way. uh Uh-huh. It doesn't come to the same conclusion. Right. And I think that the scariest part is, is that they said that these have never seen the light of day until now. Never seen the light wow. of day. There's no, they, they're not, they're not prosecuted. They're not criminally charged. Um, they're decertified and let go. I mean, I don't know what happens after that. There might be some, I haven't, I didn't delve into, you know, what happens to these officers afterwards. But, you know, I think it's pretty clear that the gist of it is that they cover for themselves, they cover they cover yeah. they cover things up. They close and the, the ranks. media. The, the media helps cover for them and how they report it. Like uh, this, let's get to my next uh, little little abyss tweet here. Definitely, uh, I sent over. It's from a lefty blog, uh, left left on the news, which is like a lefty anti-imperialist blogger or something like that. I just saw the tweet, but it was from an article, and the person writes, "This is in response to a quote from an article about protesters being arrested, where it says." Mallet had thrown a tear gas canister back at police as they were trying to clear the entrance ramp. He was arrested on suspicion of assault with a deadly weapon on a police officer and resisting obstructing an officer. And the comment is, if cops shoot tear gas at you, that's crowd control. But if you pick it up and throw it back, that's assault with a deadly weapon. Got it. That makes absolute zero sense. I don't even know what to say about that, to be honest with you. I think we could just leave that right there as it is, and I think people can understand the fucking problem. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. How is one not a deadly weapon until you pick it up and throw it back at the police, even though they fired it at you as a projectile? I'll tell you why, Matt, and and this was why. Cops don't commit violence. They don't. Technically, because they have monopoly on force and they police themselves, 
it's always justified when they do it in the moment. At most, you can hope That's to the complain trap you're and get it about, reviewed. Right? Uh, hey, I'm going to stop this cop from murdering me by voting him out of office. Like, like imagine, imagine telling like a black person as they're getting the shit beaten out of them. Don't worry, you'll vote them out of office next year. <laughs> like, it's obscene. So, yeah, that you know, it's interesting that you say that. It's interesting that you say that, right? Because that's like that's like the leadership of a company being like, we're gonna we're gonna eradicate all wasted time in my in underneath my uh, in my department. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to waste any time whatsoever. I'm going to ensure that nobody's going to waste any time. And, you know, uh, and, and we're going to, and we're going to install a new head. If that, if this head of this office can't do it right, there's no way you can't be in every place at every single time. You can't be everywhere. You can't be eyes, ears. You, you, so how voting somebody at this top of this, of this institution to change it is going to actually change it. it. It starts from the bottom up. It does. And to just round out that thought, I wrote that, you know, if you have absolute authority, then you're in a position of power to always justify your use of force. So, you know, the state well, didn't William Barr just do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it justified, you know, war crimes and use of chemical weapons and all those things. That's that guy. And then he had. held up a Bible and explained a Bible and then he went home. So here's the thing. It's like, because of the way society works, it's like, we've all agreed that we're giving the government a monopoly on force. That That's kind of what the point of having a government is, if you think about it. Really, for a point of protection, ultimately, right, as a group, is we're saying, hey, you guys can use violence when necessary, because we all agree these are the rules of when violence is necessary. Mm-hmm. And then they use it completely outside those rules and say, but it's always necessary. Here's how and stretch the rules to fit their their meaning of it. So it's like you're incapable of wielding it without justifying it because there's never any introspection or true oversight. Right. Let's talk about wielding that power. Let's talk about those Buffalo guys. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody saw this video uh, earlier this week, but there's like a 75 year old dude, a protester, a white bald guy. And he's talking to some cops who are trying to clear a square and I forget what he's talking to him about, but like they try to get him to move and he, he like l- leans in. He, I mean, he doesn't shove him. He's literally just standing there and two of them just like shove him over and he falls back, cracks his head, bleeding out of the ears. And he's just like lying there. And you hear, holy shit, he's bleeding out the ears. Keep moving. And they just like walk past him. Like he's not. Yeah. And then there. one guy tries to stop and the other guy pulls him off. Yeah. One of the, one of the, one of, there's a guy, a big group of Buffalo cops, like 10 of them. So yep. uh, these two guys got like suspended without pay. Uh, and then they got, I think, didn't they get like arrested or arranged or something like that? They, yeah, they got they got charged they with felony assault. Yeah, assault. They actually got charged with felony assault, which is like the first time I've ever seen something like this happen in my entire life. All their fellow police officers met them outside the courtroom to cheer. To, to cheer. cheer. To one cheer of the, them. It's one of the most disgusting videos. And that's what we talk about when it's like there's this like thin blue line, this, this, uh, this code of honor where literally – the police are at war with America to them. To them, like, they are separate from us. They are this different group that is somehow above us and gets to wield godlike powers. When people see somebody walking around their neighborhood with a gun, you know what that tells them? This person is given the ability to decide who lives and dies, and then they figure it out afterwards. In the moment, it's always justified when that person does it. That's the truth. That's what a cop has. And when you let somebody walk around with a death weapon, and the type of attitude it's been proven over and over again where 
escalation of force, no de-escalation, the ability to always choose the most violent uh, you know, methods possible. This is leading us to a very slippery slope we've come to with where, you know, like you said, it's just a few bad apples. Most police aren't violent. Yeah, but if the ones who are violent never get in reprimanded or get weeded out of the force, then what good is it? Then what the whole then the else? whole thing then the whole thing is that way. Then the whole it, it, one one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. Am right? I dealing with a good cop or a bad cop? Is Don't he know. Get the shit out of me, or be or be cool with me because he, he understands what the situation is. Or is his partner going to roll up and then everything's fine until he gets here? But it doesn't matter because this guy's not going to say anything. Tr- but uh, it's not like they're behaving this way because they've been mistrained. That's the funny thing with like the George Floyd thing, where they'd be like, you know, we're new to the force. They trained this out of us. They're doing exactly what they've been trained in, like. You, that Minneapolis police force went to that warrior training that you know we were talking about I mm-hmm. think at one point, mm-hmm. where these guys go to seminars on how to beat the shit out of you. you right. Know, these guys post on secret Facebook groups memes to each other about how they love beating the shit out of people. They, they get off on it. Like to me, like that'd be like the most depressing, sad part of the job when you have to use violence violence on somebody. Like literally, just like depressing. Exactly. <laughs> like it, it, it's depressing having to hurt somebody. I think like it's your it's your goal in life to avoid fighting. As a police officer, you're putting yourself in a situation where you know you're going to be having to deal with violent, depraved, angry people. Like we say, it's it's a very difficult job. Nobody knows, doesn't know what they're getting into. So Correct. If, if we haven't created a system where you're going to be able to deal with these situations in a way where you're not constantly asserting, uh, you know, violence as authority, as a, as a kind of, uh, you know, sort of Damocles that always dangles over somebody's head. I mean, that's what black people, I think, ultimately feel is that, like, you know, if I get mouthy with a cop, they could shoot me. If I do well, nothing, it's if I just sit here, they could shoot me. If, 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 I, if I push them, they could shoot me. You could do any of these things you feel like if you're a black person, and they can, that sort of Damocles can drop on your fucking head in a moment. There's nothing you can do about it, and 99% of the time, that guy's not going to jail. You might get fired. Maybe nowadays with video evidence so that's the situation we've created so i think that's where i ultimately get to with the uh you know the transition state of things you know like we talk about uh the last tweet i sent you was about uh that police officer in queens who got caught on camera pulling down the face of a protester mm-hmm. who had their hands in the air they pull down their their pepper their, uh, their mask and they pepper spray them in the face they got suspended without pay disciplinary action may follow and as the person quote tweets I once got fired from a job for not smiling. Like we give <laughs> in, in capitalism, we make ourselves slave to these employers. They tell us when we show You're up. You're not wearing enough flair, dress. Devin. You they don't can, have enough they, flair. They can tell us how we look. They can tell us who we can date. They tell us how we can behave. They tell us what words we can use. They dictate our lives down to the very teeth. They'll fire you for not smiling. Guess what? If you're a cop, you can beat the shit out of somebody and commit assault. Maybe you'll lose some money. A week's wages, Maybe. If there's video evidence and there's an uproar, maybe, maybe. So there's kind of like capitalism allows police to operate in this kind of dystopian where it's like they don't lose their jobs when they're bad at their jobs. Everybody else, if you're bad at your job, you lose your job. If you went to police captains in America right now and you said, name me the three guys on your force with the biggest problems. Let's get rid of them. You can't do it because of the police unions, but every police captain can be like these three fucking guys. Always get complaints. There's always a case. So my I question deal with. is: so, so my question can't get rid of them. So my th- my question then becomes: like, what if it was easier to identify and remove those people, either by some kind of community board oversight committee, 
uh, more transparency. Could you remove, could you extract those people? And do you think that, do you believe that the rest of the, of the organization could change and evolve towards a, the different system that you had mentioned previously? Now, before we get into your, uh, major, uh, topic uh an article i mean my idea and my concept uh is based on the fact that my idea and at least my concept it's paradigm is that you know these communities they feel radically isolated and morally disenfranchised from society and basically what's been done is because of society and the structures in place you've made people so poor and uneducated that they're incapable of helping themselves and their communities. And then you blame them for the situation you created and forced them into right. and violently right. keep them in. Yeah. So why would somebody care about your perception of morality if it doesn't benefit them in any fucking way? That's ultimately the truth. You can be like, these rioters and looters, they're terrible people, they're animals, shoot them, which is what a bunch of disgusting people say. But what these people don't understand is they can't put themselves in the mindset of, your morality means nothing to somebody because guess what? If that person who was a rioter or a looter adopted your mindset immediately, their life would not change in any way, shape, or form. Correct. So why should they adapt your morality? It doesn't benefit them. The whole point of morality is to like share in it together. You can't like have a morality that you're separate from. So like even if you're 100% correct about the use of violence or how to protest, if that can't have impact and benefit on those you're preaching it to, it's meaningless. Like you can't tell someone, you know, don't protest or riot and uh, you need to vote. And then they vote and nothing changes. What good was voting then? How did your morality serve them? Right. Uh, or, or let's let's say they do vote. Well, and then that person they wanted gets elected. Right. So, so now and, we're well, so, so then that person you elected doesn't change anything. Well, now, well, we're, so, now, you, now you go, Oh, well, now you need to blame the guy you elected. It, it's that individual's fault. They need to get replaced. And the cycle continues endlessly. You literally create this system where it's a cycle that's going to perpetuate itself. And that's the problem ultimately is the communities need money. That's what I was going to say. That's, that's what I was going to say. So now you're, now you're getting, now you're getting, now you're getting to what they're calling for recently, which is defunding the police, right? Exactly. Defunding the police. And and, and you and I, but you, yes, right. And you and I, you and I were sitting there and we were, and we had this debate, right? About what defunding the police actually means. And I'm saying, and I was saying like, Hey, you know, we can't just completely defund the police and disband them, um, you know, wholesalely. And you said, yeah, well we can. And then you, you know, we were talking about this whole different, different structure that you can't just, uh, reform people into uh, and retrain people into a, a new system. You have to pretty much cut it off and then create a new system. The main the thing up. is it's like if people had better jobs and had better education and more community more services, their, right? Yeah. Yeah. Better services, more reason to care more, about their community, a better community center success. If you were, if you were, if you, yes, if you weren't walking by the, you know, the broken windows and you weren't into the, and, and they had more uh, pathways to success through education and other means, uh, it would be much, much better than having APCs and, um, you know, riot police and, and, uh, and, and SWAT and everybody being able to look like they are also um, could pass them off as army rangers uh, every time that they send somebody. I think the main yeah. thing too is it makes people feel that their rage isn't justified 
You know well, doesn't I mean? it make you feel like you're occupied at that point? If you were, if you were, so if you were in a lower income community, and this is the other thing that I was talking about, right? If policing, if if, if more, if a, if a greater police presence actually led to less crime, it would make more sense to have more police carrying bigger, badder weapons. But it doesn't do that. The most heavily policed places have the most crime. So what does that tell you about the police? Are they seeking out this crime? Is it is it because there's more of them there that they just find this crime, or is it? because they are profiling they're harassing people and stopping them from no reason and then they find things because it's just opportunistic the laws are written and made by the rich to control the poor that's ultimately the foundation of the police and if you don't understand that then you're never going to get to the point we're at right now huey newton uh in the defense of self-defense wrote in 1967 men were not created in order to obey laws laws are created to obey men they're established by men and should serve men. The laws and rules which officials inflict upon poor people prevent them from functioning harmoniously in society. There is no disagreements about this function of law in any circle. The disagreement arises from the question of which men laws are to serve. Such lawmakers ignore the fact that it is the duty of the poor and unrepresented to construct rules and laws that serve their interests better. Rewriting unjust laws is a basic human right and fundamental obligation. And that's where we're at. The laws are unjust. They're meant to serve the rich and powerful, and they're disgusting in how they're enforced willfully. We know the war on drugs. We know black, white people, everyone uses drugs equally. We know how that's enforced in sentencing. We know which communities are hit the hardest. It's a pipeline and a system. To well, actually, we don't use them equally. Money. Actually, because we actually did a study on this, white people have actually a more... There you go. A higher yeah, yeah. propensity to use drugs than black folks, but they but they disproportionately make up uh, our prison population. Hey, but that might even have to be economically related. You know what I mean? If like you made the economics the same, I think drug use is pretty much the same. It's like a class thing. Who has the time and money for the luxury of getting their rocks off? It, it literally yeah. is a class thing. Yeah. It, it's a pastime. Who drinks beer? Well, you know I, mean, I mean, I mean, the disparity is such that you know who 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 does cocaine and uh, who yeah. who smokes crack, right? I mean, you know, but, it's one of those things. I don't even think crack. What he was anymore. talking about there is that you know it's like the laws that serve the powerful are not the laws that serve the poor, and we can't really have two sets of laws. So the powerful won't let us change the laws. This is the situation you've come to ultimately. Redistricting, you know, voter disenfranchisement. I think it really does come selling down. Selling out the budgets, pork riders, endless war, war on drugs, private prisons. You go on and on and people are just lost in the sea of shit. And they're like, how do we get out of it? You just keep piling it on top of us over and over and over again until finally the house of cards starts to fall. And that's when you get one of these moments, I think, where people just say, fuck you, we've had enough. If they all lost their jobs, there's COVID, you get this on top of it with the video, like that was the moment. So now we can at least have this discussion. And if we don't, we're doomed. We're doomed. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know? Um, So how can we have this conversation with those in power and the powerful without them beating us with sticks or calling us communists or fascists or morons, you know, actually having the ability to have a conversation with you. It's like, I've had conversations with these people and the problem is you try to have this, they'll like they'll leave the room. They'll call you names and just walk away. They, they can't have a discussion about it because it, it's a very, very dark reflection about who we are as a society mm-hmm. and what we've allowed to happen. Yeah. Like you and me are complicit in that. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like a piece of shit about it all the time. But what can I do? Go get shot in the eye with a rubber bullet? Like what's my, what's my means to actually enact change? 
and we, we need to all talk about this. Constantly. I think I think our means I think our means to enact change at this point is exactly what we're doing right now is to have a have a discussion between two people trying to find our way, um, you know, through and, this and then ourselves, this, and then and then, and then get it out there, and then hopefully, yeah, and get it out there, and then hopefully other people listen to this and and start to think maybe a little bit differently. I think the only you know maybe half of the stuff that we talk about, or ninety eight percent of the stuff that we talk about, is nonsense. But if two percent or one percent actually sinks in and a little kernel drops in somebody's brain and they go oh yeah you know what i never thought of it that way that devon dude had something there or that mac guy had something there you know even if it's just a little freaking glimmer and it starts to down you uh, down a path of a different thought process or a different stream of consciousness then i'm all about it like you know yeah am i full of shit absolutely but you know what i care about these things and i care about my fellow person and i try to be a better person i think that's something that we also need to think about when it comes to these officers i mean they should operate at the highest standards of professionalism and accountability right and they should want that they should be examples of that it shouldn't be you know you're talking about you you brought it up and you said it a couple times you talk about de-escalation training well, you know, last week we talked about how it seems like they're trained in escalation training because that's the end goal is to end the, the interaction in an arrest because then it starts the whole cycle of the, the, uh, of the, uh, of the criminal justice system where everybody gets paid, right? Nobody gets paid if they let you go. Right, nobody right. makes any money. The lawyer doesn't no make money. any money. The no, DA no. doesn't make any money. The court doesn't make the court system doesn't bail, make any bail money. The city bail doesn't make, doesn't make any money. So it really is. It is parole that officer. Sort of, you can go on and on, right? On parole, parole officer. They exactly. Got, they got the right? guys who build the jails. The guys who build the courthouses. You Absolutely. Know? Oh, you always Absolutely. need a bigger jail. You always need a newer one. You always need a newer. Courthouse and as that industry and as that industry balloons and gets bigger, and we have when we set up more infrastructure to support that, then we have to have when we have to feed that system. So we need a greater funnel. Right, so we need to have ways to entrap people and snare them. In uh, and and I use entrapment, you know, and it'd be funny if it wasn't true. Obviously, the 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 quote that I said, uh, as far as the uh, um, as far as the uh, uh, um, um, you know police eighty five thousand police officers, you know, uh, incidents uh, over the last ten years, you know, as far as these officers are concerned, of all array of freaking things that they've done wrong, um, you know, and then every every day, every day, there's millions of people or millions, excuse me, thousands, tens of thousands of people who are in jail simply for the crime of not having enough money to make bail. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, so here's you're the not, you're, you're not guilty. You're not even in, like officially indicted. You just can't make bail. So right, you just got to sit there because you're broke. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting one, right? Because they 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 reduced or eliminated bail in New York City, and the rioters, some of the looters and rioters that were getting arrested, were getting arrested and then getting released right away uh, back onto the streets. Um, and, you know, obviously some of those people were opportunists. They were saying that, you know, people were driving up in SUVs and, you know, smashing a window, going in, 100%. getting out, coming out, you know, hundred percent. So they ended up suspending that program, uh, temporarily for, uh, these specific incidents. But I don't think that's the problem either. And, and, and these things, these are complicated. You can't just, you can't just broad brush any of these, any of these problems, right? Because, well, the, the because you also get, because what was the young man that got, they, they got, uh, got thrown in Rikers for, he had, uh, his back, he had a backpack. Remember it, it was about a stolen backpack. What was that guy's, what was his name? 
Oh God, I'm uh, I'm There's gonna been so many men. Right, we're gonna get eviscerated on Twitter for this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. But there was but there was a young man. He uh, he he was accused of, st- of stealing a backpack, and he uh, then got thrown in Rikers uh, for like two years because he couldn't make bail. And then when he got out recently, and then he shoot he shot himself. You know, so you have to protect against such scenarios like that. Um, but it, but it's so hard because like, how do you how do you apply these changes to where they make sense? Also, yes, right. So that that point, like, I wanted to just round out on before we begin your article was just that you know, investing in communities and defunding the police, it's about a transfer of priority. Like, the police don't need more money. They, they already are the most funded organization in the country, and they're the only ones who keep getting more money even in times of a recession. They don't need more APCs. They don't need more private monitoring. They don't need more SWAT vests, okay? What we need is is we need in these communities investment, better schools, better jobs, you know, uh, better infrastructure, roads and buildings that aren't collapsing, Flint not having poisoned water. You know what I mean? People having... Uh, something to look forward to and belief that their community is going to get better and improve. That's not something that happens overnight. I'm not saying this is like a, we take this pill and society's better tomorrow. Racism solved. It's about making a commitment to being willing to traverse that rocky path where we know it's going to be rough. And guess what? There's going to be, there might be looting. There might be violence, but there already is. And it's going to be endless unless we do something about it. So that's going to start with transferring our money from prioritizing security over education, ultimately. If we're not willing to sacrifice some security for education, then we're going to basically be putting ourselves into, you know, a straitjacket from which we never and it's, emerge. And it's perceived, it's perceived security. Again, police don't prevent crime. They respond to crime, right? So... Oh, well, and which crimes? <laughs> There you and go. And where and where and where and when? Where they are. It's proximity. So obviously, like I'm saying, if there's if it's more heavily policed, there there and it also, makes sense uh, that who, there's more Matt, crime. You know, you you know if there's a shooting on you know Park Avenue Boulevard, you know, in front of some millionaire's place, there's gonna be like thirty cop cars there in a minute. If it's somewhere in like Chirac, like how, how long before the squad cars roll up? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like there's just a difference in how right? these things Didn't are. Didn't public enemy sing a song about that? 911 yeah. is a joke. So, you know, and I think people just get, you force them to live in this state where, you know, like I said, we're accustomed to letting people who we don't have any faith that they're going to use their power correctly get to walk around like gods and wield death without refute. Or so you want to know, you want to know, you know what the biggest travesty of everything that we've just talked about is? Is that there is zero, zero, comprehensive data regarding police uses of force it's just not available to police departments or the american public there's no comprehensive there's no comprehensive database that exists that captures police use of force the best available evidence reflects the high rates of uses of nationally and uh with increased likelihood of police uh, use of force and people of color, people with disabilities, LGBT, people with mental concerns, low incomes. Uh, intersection with these communities is greater. So that's where the use of force is because they police them more heavily. Um, but there is no there is no database. There is no centralized place where that holds data where you can go and say, 
yes, there is an there is an issue. This is what the issue is. This is what it stems from. These are the this is the the, the areas where it's more prevalent. There's none of that. There's none of that. There they don't have they don't have a system in place to capture these instances at all. So doesn't that tell you exactly what they what what they care about and what they don't? Yeah, I mean, capitalism demands it because, like I said, it's a jobs program. It's entrenched. What are all these people going to do, these millions of people who make their livings somehow insulated in the complex of human misery that is, you know, the police or the military complex? You know what I mean? Like, can't completely argue that people don't need to live in society like you you don't just say end capitalism and it just happens so how do they exist then like that's the real tricky part for me is it's like you can defund these organizations but what we're basically advocating for is all right you know prison reform and the war on drugs uh police reform you're basically saying we don't need tens of thousands of lawyers judges receptionists private contractors private security guys jailers wardens uh bail bondsmen you can keep going through the list right we, we don't need you guys to do your job anymore there's too many of you like you basically have built a living off of suffering and we need to reduce that well what are they going to do then and like it's fucked up to even talk about it like that but that's literally the dynamic it creates these people lobby to keep all these things in place that's the reason why we have most of the stuff is all these people have very powerful lobbies where they pay money to your congressmen to make sure that they keep their jobs mm-hmm. right yep Yep, absolutely. So like that that for me is the real, real tricky part to think about because the system is brilliant in its, you know, design in that sense, where it gives people such incentive to not change. You know, you literally have to like willingly hurt yourself and your family to risk change. And you might not even get the change then, right? Like let's say all these cops in their head, they're like, what if we just joined the protesters? We all just quit our jobs and join the protesters, right? You know what? Okay. But, but throughout well, history, well, it, man, it, throughout history, it, you've had to rip freedom away from those in power. 100%. But I'm just saying, I just put yourself as a devil's advocate mindset. It's like a, a cop might be like, well, you know, if we all just quit our jobs and, you know, make this display, then, you know, maybe that'll actually enact change. But what if you do and it doesn't? Then you just lost your job. You're ostracized from the police. I mean, exactly. more than ostracized. Like your world's over. Yeah, so, blackballed. Yeah, you know, like, like you you have to willingly risk. You, you know, have to put it all your, out there. Betraying your brothers and like hurting your family. Maybe you got a wife and kid. Your 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 friends look up to this or that. Like you actually, you know, they they think policing's a good thing for whatever reason. And you're like, you know, I'm going to make a stand and show these guys that you know we can we can change. We can come together. You're risking everything for a payoff that probably won't come. So you're putting people in impossible solution. I mean, I don't think most cops want to beat the shit out of people. They don't want to. Right. But they have, but they have to. Most don't. Some do. But the ones that don't turn their backs to the ones that do. But when it push comes to shove, they will billy club you if they need to. Right in the face. As, as, as a vulgar display of power. Like that's literally what question these protests was about because we saw how protests were treated when it was a bunch of white dudes with machine guns protesting for the right to get haircuts. We, we saw how they were treated. You know what I mean? Like th- this is a vulgar display of power Absolutely. to let people know like what's it okay to complain about? You want to complain about, you know, your, your freedom for the ability to let the economy run. You want to complain about your first, hey, you want to complain about your first world problems? 
about not getting a haircut, not being able to get out of your house, not being able to freaking, you know, get your nails done. You know, all right, we'll let that go. You want to you want to you want to complain about your civil rights being trampled on? Your constitutional rights being tra- trampled on? Oh, hell no. Because we are perfect. We are exceptional. We are America. There's no way. We don't have any problems. What are you talking about? We'll just cover them up going away. We don't have to talk about our original sin, which is slavery, which has been going on in this country for 400 years. Nobody wants to talk about that. Like you said, you said it last week. You bring up reparations and then you just get shut down. Don't even bring that up. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. Why would we ever do that? You don't need that. That you you weren't a slave. You weren't a slave, so therefore you couldn't possibly be affected by slavery. Even though your grandparents were a slave, your, your great grandparents were slaves. Your grandparents were freaking uh, segregated. Your parents fought for that, but still were freaking redlined out of freaking homes and other banking institutions or lend you know, lent to, to to grow their own black businesses in the black communities. So, but you weren't affected. So we're not going to give you reparations at all for all of that other oppression and corruption and everything that those people had to had to endure. But here, so this is what I this is what I found. So what's interesting? You brought it up, and uh, and what I found was uh, a a letter written um, on November fifteenth, two thousand eighteen, uh, from the United States Commission on Civil Rights um, to Donald Trump, Vice President. And then Speaker of the House, uh, Paul Ryan. And uh, I just wanted to read a little bit uh, from the executive summary. I know that we've been doing this a lot, uh, but I I hope that our listeners kind of appreciate, you know, some of this because we can we can give you, you know, some tangible information uh, that 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 is that is 100 percent relevant uh, to uh, the conversation uh, at hand. Um, So. The uh, I'm going to read a little bit from the executive summary, uh, and uh, and just want you uh, just just soak it in a little bit. So hit me. Here we go. Uh, <clears throat> executive summary: The relationship between law enforcement in many communities in the United States is fraught and challenging, particularly for those who experience violence violent crimes coupled with intensive police presence and surveillance. A number of recent developments suggest a renewed commitment to resolving this issue. For the first time in decades, the country has witnessed ubiquitous and sustained protests by young people, communities of color, and other impacted populations in cities all across the country. Further, in hope of fostering better community police relationships, many law enforcement and city officials around the country have started implementing reform strategies to allay communities' concerns <clears throat> about ex- actual or perceived unfair and unequal policing. Reform advocates often acknowledge the positive steps that some jurisdictions are undertaking, but reported cases of excessive force remain a national concern. Furthermore, the Bill of Rights of the United States Constitution guarantees that fundamental rights of both law enforcement and the communities they serve, whose rights are protected under the 4th, 8th, and 14th Amendments. While allegations that some police force is excessive, unjustified, and discriminatory continue to proliferate, current data regarding police use of force is insufficient to determine if instances are occurring more frequently. The public continues to hear competing narratives by law enforcement and community members, and the hard reality is that the available national and local data is flawed and inadequate. A central contributing factor to the absence of the mandatory federal reporting and standardization reporting guidelines, former FBI Director James Comey stated that, quote, 
Not long after riots broke out in Ferguson in 2014, I asked my staff to tell me how many people shot by police were African-American in this country. I wanted to see trends. I wanted to see the information. They couldn't give it to me, and it wasn't their fault. Demographic data regarding officer-involved shootings is not consistently reported to us because reporting is voluntary. Our data is incomplete and therefore in aggregate unreliable. Willfully blind. They have the data. They choose not to share it. They have the data and they choose not to share it. It's a, and if you go on further, because they know what the data says, right? And, and if you go in a little bit further, if you guys will bear with me just a little bit, uh, there's a couple more paragraphs. Until recently, data on officer-involved shootings was extremely rare. Moreover, the data that are available is most frequently compiled by grassroots organizations, nonprofits, or media sources. Data are not only lacking regarding fatal police shootings, but data regarding all use of force are scant and incomplete. Data on low-level uses of force, which happens more frequently than officer-involved shootings, are virtually non-existent. This is due in part to the fact that most police precincts don't explicitly collect data on use of force and in part to the fact that when the data that to the fact that even when the data is hidden in plain view with within police narrative accounts of interactions with civilians, it is exceedingly difficult to extract. Without accurate data on police use of force, allegations by community members and actions by law enforcement not only sow distrust among communities and they police making policing more dangerous, but also jeopardize perfect safety. Research consistently shows that positive relationships between community members and law enforcement are essential for safer communities. Citizens are more likely to aid in crime reduction and partner with police if they believe the law enforcement are engaging in equitable treatment and impartially towards all. So you also shared this, uh, you know, presidential, uh, Police task, uh, police use of force, I believe it was, right? Uh, with me, this examination of modern policing practices. Did you? Uh, yeah, that's what I just read. Some, yeah. Yeah, like this section here that uh, was highlighted, though, specifically with what their uh, their reforms were, right? Like the uh, recommendations. Like they say, lack of training and lack of funding. They need more money. They need more money, Matt. More money is what they found out. We need even more money. You know what? We're, we're just. We, we haven't gone to the right seminar yet. <laughs> That's got to be it, right? That, mu- that must be why this keeps happening year after year historically since the beginning of this country. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's just been this prevalent attitude of violence from figures of authority against the public. Like, Yeah, but it goes on. It goes on. Like, it goes a little fall. bit on with, with the recommendations. And it does talk about support, uh, Congress funding grants and uh, uh, to support external police oversight, for example, independent monitors police commissions um fund grants regarding best practices for such oversight those type of things and and the money is one thing but it's like you say like are those like now are those institutions held accountable or are they just complicit in the system at the same time right do they have an actual interest in finding anything or is it just that whole like rubber stamp like yeah yeah we looked at it check the box look at us we're here we're this apparatus we're tsa we're we're, we're giving you this layer you know, because look, here's the deal. Here, let's talk about let's talk about the elephant in the room with this whole thing that I sent you. This is from 2015. James Comey was talking about Michael Brown. This hasn't changed. This is five years ago. A lot happens in five years. Same shit, different day, man. Same stuff, Same right? Shit, so this, this even though this all sounds great, 
And this all seems like, oh man, this could happen. Like what I read you could have happened. You, it could have, it could have been contemporary. It could have been right now. That's but it's not you, now. It's a, it's a Chinese finger trap. We need more funding. But it speaks and more to training. exactly what you say, what you said in the first Twitter that we brought up from oh, Miss Jennifer, Jennifer Rubin. Every single person who has marched has has to pledge to vote. Well, That's you know what, Miss Rubin, this document right here, this was sent to Donald Trump, proves that that didn't happen. That do, that that doesn't happen. That that, that doesn't that doesn't initiate change wholesale change of a system that has been built and designed to do exactly what it's doing right now. And that's to feed the prison population system and all of those other ancillary uh, institutions that prop up the criminal justice system. And as our friend, like the respectable lawyer pointed out, you know, like, Hey, all these cities happen to have democratic city councils and mayors and all that and governors and it's just still happening oh wait even when the president was black and a democrat and now like you're saying oh it's not about being a democrat it's about identity politics it's about being a woman it's about being, being now black. i will say when I those will... people get elected somehow the police state still remains the same almost as if the police state only is going to allow somebody to get elected who's going to perpetuate the police state that's the only identity politics that power cares about who's going to let the power perpetuate they'll gladly let an lgbtq person uh who was you know like a swahili road scholar uh become president as long as they're cool with drone strikes and beating protesters right <laughs> yeah yeah like, well, like that, that's, I, the, that's the mindset of these people really i will is. say i will say that though that there there are subtle there are subtle differences when you get different people at the top and the way that the the, well, we talked about that with Biden. Like, okay, but there is a difference in abortion rights. There is a difference in how you speak about human beings. That does matter. That really does matter. But we're talking about gradients of the smell of the shit. And true. when you're given those choices of, do you want the you know baby diarrhea or do you want the grown man turd? Like, you're not like, well, I'm really happy to choose between these choices. Why are we choosing between shit? Why is that the only choice every fucking year, year after year, shit A or shit B? And even if you think it isn't shit, it somehow gets sold to you as something that smells good, it always ends up being shit. It always ends up being That's shit. Because you can't vote your way out of a problem where the system is designed to not let you vote your way out of the problem. You know what's, you know what's interesting, though, is that so in this, in this letter, they ask for a more uniform approach uh, to the um, enforcement of 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 this of this use of force, right? Of 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 enforcing um, a more blanket uh, federal federal eyes, right? Federal eyes on it. FBI, you know, investigating civil rights um, abuses and uh, and 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 and, and uh, you know, constitutional right abuses, and that's what they called for. But in 2018. Jeff Sessions said that their Justice Department would leave the policing to the local authorities, saying that federal investigations actually hurt crime fighting. Except local authorities don't even live in their locality, as Minneapolis proves, with less than 10% of the police actually living in Minneapolis. That's just insane. I mean, this but is But they live design. in the suburbs, right? And they live in the suburbs uh, yeah. and they come in. But see, that's even, doesn't that even, I, I, so I live in. I, I, it's by I, design, man. Well, so here's the thing. So I've actually lived in, in areas where, you know, it's, it's very segregated. Um, not, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously. 
And in the suburbs, it is more of a white, middle-class, suburban community, as you would think of it as in, in middle, middle America. And those people have a certain arrogance um, about them when they talk about the people from across the river. And if you're that person on this side of the river and you are in uh, and you believe already fundamentally that you're better than those people on the other side of the river just because of your economic status and you're the one in control and you're the one policing them then how aren't we in a how aren't we in a uh, situation like um like 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 in the in the 12th century or or, or where when you're just policed by you know the 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 knights uh, <laughs> that are just, you know, I'm, I'm noble. Uh, I have a mandate. Uh, you're just a surf. Um, you just work for me. Uh, you're lesser than, um, you know, that type of thing. I mean, shovel we, we, my, we turn, shovel my shit. We turn cities into concrete jungles when they used to be for the people. So now they're for the cars and then we made it illegal to be homeless. So you can't sleep on the streets. So now the city centers are, New York, L.A., San Francisco, Chicago, you've got this epidemic of homeless where, where do they go? What do they do? Like, There's nowhere to go, even. There's not even like parks to be in, and if they are, that makes the park super unsafe then, because you've got a shitload of people living in unhealthy conditions doing drugs in the open. I'm not even talking about homeless people. I'm just talking about the fact that they're, that when they go in and police these areas uh, that are of, of so- socioeconomic plight, then how how can they not go in with the feeling of of authority and righteousness given the 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 biases and, and all the things that they pull that the, 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 the officers pull in how can you how can you non how do you treat the worst though i think that's why i brought up the homeless was like this is capitalism how do you treat the people at the lowest rung of capitalism you make it illegal to be broke right you can't stand here you're loitering you can't sleep there no vagrancy keep moving no, no, sorry. No one's going to hire you. You smell like shit. You look like shit. You don't have an education. You're a drug addict. Go die somewhere. Not here, though. <laughs> Not that's here. like the mentality. And that, that's literally what we've done for the lowest class possible, homeless. The class above that is like the working, working immigrants. Poor. My, I call it the immigrant poor first. And then you've got like the actual like maybe like minority uh, American poor right next to them. And that class gets the next level of police abuse where it's not illegal to exist, but we still might kill you or stop you at any moment or plant drugs on you. And we're going to make your life a living hell at any moment because it's your fault. It's your fault for being here. (laughs) You're here. That must mean it's your fault. Well, your life is worth less than mine. So I'm going to ruin your life in order to better mine, to advance mine, to advance my career. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to plant drugs on you and put you in jail because I have a complete disregard for your life, but it's all good because you're just a worthless piece of shit. Anyway, nobody cares about you and you shouldn't care about you. So we're going to lock you in a box and I'm going to advance my career because I just, I just busted a drug dealer or uh, somebody holding drugs or whatever it is. And the longer that becomes a pattern, the more entrenched it becomes. Like then people start to believe it, and that's the sickness. I think people go, "Yeah, you're right, though. They are pieces of shit." Well, and so they should be locked up, and, and they get out of prison, and guess what? They commit crimes again. It's like, see, 
That well, told you yeah, and, and no, but nobody recognizes but nobody recognizes that a felon is disenfranchised and they have a serious uh, h- uh, hardships trying to find legitimate work. So everybody just goes right to the you know not not everybody. That's a that's a terrible statement, but you know obviously uh, you know the 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 propensity is to to go back to crime because that's quick easy money and once you get out and you have nothing you got to start over with something you know but i also Only some bad people are born right like not a lot of bad people are born Only yeah yeah some. right very bad very, people very, are very, a lot very, of bad people are made though. they're produced yeah yeah it, and how it, are you and how are you made it's nurture and nature like, so it's I'd both say nine, i'd say like 98 99 of people are born good like you know there's the one percent sociopath serial killer patrick bateman ted bundy type and then 99 percent of us were good but based on our upbringing and culture and community and environment, that breeds mentalities and mindsets and behaviors into us that kind of dictate how we interact and think about the world. And well, you also said if we're some- not willing to look at that, then we're always going to be stuck with this is the system we're in and it should always stay the same and we should die on a mountain to defend it instead of saying, how can we do better? How can we change? How can we improve? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you also said something, and I don't know if I touched on it last week, but one of the things that I was thinking about, it's easy for people to point the fingers and be like, see, see what those people are doing, see that this, it's a violence and see the looting and see the rioting. And, and, you know, and, and we, and we see the way that they act and that the fact that, you know, it seems like they're lazy and, and they, and they don't care. And, you know, they, they're, they're, they're not, they're not pulling themselves by up there, the bootstraps and being good Americans and being industrious and getting on with it, you know, um, and it looks like that. That's the perception. But like we were saying, when you when it's generation after generation of getting the boot on the back of your neck and your entire inner circle, your entire – everything that you look at around you is in and out of a prison system, uh, not going to school, uh, all of these things. And, and it's just – and it's continuous, generational over and over and over at some point, at some point, you're just like, this is all useless. Why, why, why should I try in a system to, to conform to a system that's designed to keep me out of it? Why should I work so hard to conform to a system that's worked so hard to keep me outside of it? Yeah, and a system that says that it's just... You want me for, outside of it? I'll be outside of it. It's just for police to have absolute uh, authority of violence over you while at the same time, you know, making it so that poor people can't afford insulin. Like, those two things exist in the same monochrome of the same moment. That Like, those can, those can exist on the same moral plane. That makes my mind go full scanners. Like... I just don't get it, you know, like the lack of value for human life, you know, is really where we need to build our foundation going forward. Like everybody's life matters. Everybody's life matters the same, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, you have value, you're important, you're special. And we need to like cherish that. We tell everybody that when they're a kid and then they grow up and we throw them in a fucking meat grinder. And like, it becomes this thing of platitudes where like your entire life through school, you're just fed slogans and bullshit that as you grow up, you realize they're designed to just that they're just slogans and bullshit. Yeah, they're they're just designed to fit you into these little neat tunnels and holes, so it keeps the system working. But they don't actually apply if you look deeper. You know what I mean? It's just designed to. Keep but dude, working. people lap that shit up like it's fucking Kool Aid, man. They love their symbols and their slogans. 
They love them. They love those I'm, empty yeah. fucking vessels. Drew Brees, right? Exact. Case in point. Case in point. Your magic sky flag. Don't don't kneel to your magic sky flag. So uh, I think that'll be a good note to end on, and we'll touch on this topic to just round it out. You know, I don't know everyone knows the story, but obviously Drew Brees, he's like a, you know great quarterback, plays for the Saints, used to play for the Chargers, won the Super Bowl. He's actually friends, I think, with the Trumps or something. He's known to be a you know a, a don't don't kneel guy, stand for the flag. And after all these recent protests, they asked him about it. Nobody even asked him about the flag, and he went on a statement about I will never you know, disrespect the flag to me. When I think of my grandfather's in World War II. I, I, I. I, 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 me, 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 my, 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 blah, blah, blah. And, of course, you know, the NFL is comprised mostly of African-Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, one of the few white positions outside of kicker is quarterback. So The centers uh, are always white. What's up with that? It's weird, <laughs> There's always too. one fat white guy who's just like, <laughs> hey, like one super fat like guy, and he's like a super athlete. He's like a J.J. Watt. You think he's fat, but he can do like a backflip. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's not fat at all, actually. Mm-hmm. But so, I mean, like most of your team is, is African-American. Immediately, teams ripping them apart. Other people ripping them apart. Like, dude, nobody brought up the flag. This had nothing to do with the flag. And this shows us what the problem is. Whenever we try to talk about something else, you make it about you. It, you make it about you and then you just and you and you just pervert you just distort this thing from the from the very first step it's like it's like fruit from a poisonous tree it's like you're 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 taking something that 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 doesn't it's not even the way that it is you see what i'm saying and what i mean by that is that's like it's right now. Right now, you keep hearing about people talking and like kneeled is for cowardice. I can't believe that these police officers ca- kneeled in front of the protesters. And you're like, hey man, they didn't kneel to them. They didn't kowtow to them. They didn't freaking bow down to them. They kneeled in solidarity with them. What don't you Did understand? The same cops that kneeled there less than 24 hours later were tear gassing and beating the same people. I'm just saying. But, it, but I'm but, just saying, but, like, these acts of solidarity by the police, that's also manufacturing consent. We don't want the police to march with us. We don't want you to kneel with us. We want you to be like, how can we change policing as a system entirely and work to completely, basically eliminate your own job? That's really kind of what we're saying. Well, yeah, I mean, you know these things I mean? are all empty, empty freaking acts unless something actually happens. So, I mean, I'm just saying, I, but, but, and you're right. And, and so, but I mean, like, you know, hey, you're not wrong. That, you're not wrong, but you know what I was getting at, in, right? When in, I was talking Buffalo, about that, I'm saying that, I'm saying that, 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 that Drew Brees is so freaking out in left field, even though he plays quarterback, he's so far out in left field that he can't even understand that. The flag is a representation of so many different things and you can you can be upset with one issue of America and actually you have a duty as a patriot to better your country and and to and, and to and to identify these areas of of, of 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 opportunity where we can get better and we can and we can try to, to to make this experiment work not just ignoring the fact of what uh, the, the the true reason and the pain and the suffering that these people have feel and the attention that they're trying to what they're trying to draw attention to and to take that and to try to spin it into something that it's not it's just i mean that's just absolutely asinine and you know what he should be ashamed of himself for doing it i mean honestly he's gonna have an interesting couple couple last seasons you know what i mean like yeah we'll, we'll see if you know 
guys meet their block assignments always catch the pass always you know it's like, just amazing how tone deaf people really you, are it's like that fucking olivia jade chick hey. saying that she should use her right privilege to freaking like raise awareness for you're like jesus bitch like you, just, your parents paid quiet. half a million dollars to yeah. get you in the fucking usc shut the fuck up <laughs> as like a photo op just because like, like you were gonna go to school and get a degree that you use in life like you were gonna be a famous person she got there and then she talked shit on school and said she didn't go so let's talk hey, about was, your privilege she was, an, she was an influencer like that's the oh, day and age friends influencer but so yeah just round up and drew Brees. it's funny because he gave like apologies which of course you do but as people point out like your initial reaction is always your true reaction. You know, you kind of like show people what's behind the veil in the moment when you instantly react. When the, yeah. You know, you haven't had time to talk to your PR team to talk it over. But to that's think it ready. Out. You're just ready to like my id and ego are going to spit forth whatever is just dormant immediately, uh, you know, for the pool. So, uh, yeah, to just round it down, man, I think like for police reform, conceptually to me, it's like, you know, the dynamic is a slippery one because you know their solution is let us remain in power just let us go to new uh you know training seminars and we'll murder you less where we need to say like we need to rethink the concept of what it is to police and the laws that are applied i mean drug laws vagrancy laws all these laws like huey newton talks about they're not just and if we have unjust laws, then you get this basically plethora of, you know, leathered boots to stomp on you that are going to enforce the unjust laws. So if we can't immediately start to rectify what's on the books and what people are willing to do, that's where the real moral, I think, reckoning is going to come. Because when you see the type of things we've seen in all these videos, which aren't on mainstream media, but are on the Internet of just so many acts of violence against defenseless people and no oh just helping. assault by the police and, and and all the other cops always just standing around being complicit that one officer ran somebody over with a horse i mean the amount of times you see it you just know that it, it isn't one apple it's the orchard the orchard produces these apples it, it's where we're getting our fruit from we need to plant new seeds we need to build new trees you know what i mean uh, it's a transition you, you build a new a program, a new platform, a new system. You put funding in that, and you transfer the funding from one into the other. And as you, you know, retire officers in the police force, you hire more in the new force. Something yes. like that. And I think know? that they should. I think they should provide. I think they should provide aggregate information to the public regarding the number of allegations and the type of use of force and what the steps are in order to address those. I think that they. I think you have to have. I think that you have to. That they have to. They have to be accountable to the public that they serve. Body cameras that they can't turn on. If they turn them off, criminal felony, conspiracies, things like that. Accountable to the people that they serve. We should have oversight. The community should have oversight. Whether it's the community community that they police locally or the community at large in regards to the municipality and the city. Uh, you and know, lawsuits or the, or come the, out of the police pensions. Area. And the lawsuits, lawsuits come, come out of the police pensions. And, and, and That way, hey, if you want to have this strong union where you can protect employment, okay, any lawsuit, it's coming out of your pensions. Then you've got reason to get rid of people who are causing you to lose money. You know, you actually got something. But it creates that dynamic again where still, you know what I mean? 
But dude, we don't know what we're fighting. We don't know that we don't know this entire scope and the magnitude of what we're trying to fight against. If there's no data in order to in order to analyze, in order to yeah, take they, a step they, forward, they hide the data, so right? that which is exactly what I talked about, right? In the in that in yep. that in the in the letter with the Commission on Civil Rights wrote. That's, Without the transparency, how can we educate ourselves? That's the very, very first thing that needs to be fixed. There has to be a there has to be a database that is both accessible and 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 utilizes and ha, and contains data that's that's that that's actually good. That's good data that we can yeah, use. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like there's like the five stages of denial. You need to like go through the process. I think you're right. Like the first step is transparency. We need to know what's up. We need the numbers. We need the facts. Second step, education. We need to learn. We need to read. We need to listen. We need to speak. We need to discuss. Third step, reflection. We need to think. We need to, you know, idealize. We need to strive for something better. If all we have is what we have right now, then we're doomed. You know, Mm -hmm. we always need to be pushing for more and better because if you think this is perfect, the perfect world we're living in, then... You know, that just depressing me. Well, so it's like the fourth step is reform, actually taking action, actually saying, okay, these are the ideas. Let's share them, decide on them and implement them somehow. If we don't work ourselves through that process, then I think we're going to get lost on the way. And then control. And then control. How do you control it? How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you continue the, how do you continue the oversight and accountability moving forward? How do you control the system now that you have in place to, to make sure that these things are continued and, 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 yeah. and furthered and not, we don't regress back. Yeah. There's so many mechanisms, Matt, that it's crazy. I mean, redistricting the electoral college, having two senators per state, all these things are part of this system designed to fuck us. They literally are. And the crazy thing is, is like, you can't fix Two the system parties. without fixing all of them. So like, it's so difficult because you fix one thing, you got 19 other firewalls keeping it in place. So, you know, I, it's going to be tough. Uh, I think, I don't know. We're talking about like transparent rebuilding of, uh, you know, the United States is an institution of an inherently right. secret system. That's the problem. So this is a, this is a true revolution for your own good. For your own good right. We'll uh-huh. keep this knowledge from you. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. Right. So we can fight crime better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's well, a really finger trap you're talking about. Circular uh, logic. I really enjoyed talking with you this week, man. It was uh, it was a uh, great topic and uh, yeah, great article you shared. I'm going to read through more. I think it's like 200 pages, but just the uh, the topical stuff is is interesting. Absolutely. Want, I'm to see how five years ago and they're able to you know put forward a classic case. 200 pages of drivel that they do nothing. And about I'll there, link right? to it. I'll link to it below. Uh, so people can, can see it as well. As well. Yeah. Um, so it's good. Uh, but yeah, definitely, man. Um, you know, Hey, the, the, the protests aren't slowing down. I think the turnout this weekend was bigger globally than it has been in the past. Uh, you know, I think we're moving into day, you know, 10 or 11 or almost two weeks of this protest. Um, so obviously this topic is not going away. I hope, um, that, that, that people continue, uh, to push forward. Um, don't get tired. Uh, the goal is to wear you down and to not hear you and to not yep. change. So continue to stay out there in the streets. We'll continue doing what we're doing here. Uh, and, uh, uh, peace and love to everybody out there. Stay safe. COVID-19 uh, and uh, duck when the uh, rubber bullets come. Yeah, stay safe, everybody. Great being with you all. Peace and love. Late.